You know, I had this uh, bit of a revelation. It's so basic, but sometimes the most basic truths can hit so deep. They can just strike a new chord and reverberate through your spirit. And I realized, you know, as pastors, you know, Pastor David's my dad, for those of y'all don't know. He's a wonderful father and my mom. They're amazing parents, wonderful godly examples my whole life. And they're wonderful pastors. And one of our jobs as pastors, maybe you can summarize it all like this, is to help build your faith in God. You know, we live in a natural world. We're surrounded by natural things. And then we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Somehow, we're to detach ourselves and the way we see this life and the way we live it and the way we decide our way through it, the way we perceive it, by faith, by the supernatural ability to connect to a supernatural realm that is unseen. And we can only do that through faith. Not by sight. We're not to be feeling our way through this life with our physical senses, with our worldly wisdom that people feed us, with our ability to connect dots and figure things out on our own natural ability. We're not called to do that. And if we're doing that, we're shortchanging ourselves from a life of faith that God has called us to as Christians. And it's our job as your pastors to help build your faith up so that you can do that better. You can walk by faith better. You, you see what I'm saying? And then you're going to experience the blessings of walking by faith and God moving in your life. You know, walking by faith and not by sight, it's not just a cool idea. It's not just a, a catchy slogan like, hey, try this out. This, this works real well for me. It's required. It's necessary to be a Christian. You have to walk by faith. You have to receive salvation by faith. We have to live out that salvation by faith. And if we don't, then we don't get to claim the prize of salvation. We don't get to claim that gift if we're not using faith. And when we do walk by faith, what we're doing is we, yeah, I, I picture this like God in his amazing glory just hovering over the earth like that scripture said his eyes just looking to and fro over the earth and he's got all of this love and all of this majesty and all of this power and all of this goodness that he wants to just cover the earth with completely blanket it but he's got to come through faith he's got to come through your faith he's got to come through my faith and he's looking for these opportunities anywhere he can find them to move in the earth through your faith, through people's faith. It's like a portal, if you will, to transfer supernatural power, unseen abilities, and that manifests himself in a natural world. And it comes through these portals of faith that you and I carry, that we're called to walk in. So what happens is we open the door of our life to God to move in the earth through our life, through our faith. And then as we together, as a family, as a body, as a flock, with the shepherds leading the flock into opening up themselves to God more, opening up our hearts to God more, opening up our faith more, so that God can move in the earth more through this church, 
in our communities, in our families, in our homes. We become living instruments that God uses to do his work in the earth. You're a living instrument in his hand. But living this life of faith is not easy. It's hard. It's hard. It's very difficult. No matter how many times we say, just have faith. That's not as easy as it sounds. I would love to have faith. Just give me some faith. I'll use it. I believe me. I'll do it. Just hand me some faith and I'll use it. You know what I mean? But that's not as easily, as easily done as it is said. What happens is we experience life. And life is full of mountains and valleys, ups and downs and lefts and rights and all over the place. And that is the natural realm, the natural reality of this life that we live in that has it going all over the place. It's not stable. It's a fallen world that we live in. We got surrounded by people that have sinned. We have sinned. It's topsy-turvy. It's cursed. It's all over the place, and it's dying, and it's all going to get burned up. And we're in the middle of it. And we have to be able to come out above that fray. We got to be able to ascend above that fray, connect to God, and be a, uh, an instrument for Him to come into that fray and bring some order. Come into that fray and bring some peace. Come into that fray, bring some miracles. You know what I mean? And that's how He really displays His glory in the earth. But if we're walking by sight, the ways and the wind, they're throwing you all over the place. Because the way you feel, the decisions you make, the way you talk is all based on the perceptions in the, in the way you see the world around you. The way you feel when you lose the loved one. The way you feel when somebody steals your money. The way you feel when somebody stands you up. You know, or, or there's so many different things. When, when you feel like you've poured your life out into somebody to help them know Jesus and they abandon you. You're like, ah! You know what I mean? Walking by sight will have you close to God. This is what happens when we walk by sight. We get close to God. We start complaining. We start doubting. We're very negative, spirited. We become disobedient and irritable. That's what happens when you're walking by sight and everything ain't going on so perfectly around you. You just want to scream. But when you're walking by faith, you're open to God in the middle of the same circumstances. You're, you're singing his praises. You're talking about God with other people. And you're telling others about his blessings. How many of y'all have experienced this when you're irritable like that, right? You're in a situation that's very uncomfortable. There's a bunch of unknowns. You're afraid. It's not looking good. And somebody says, just trust, trust the Lord. Duh! I'm going to trust the Lord. Get out of my house. Like, I know I got to trust the Lord. Everybody says that. You know, you got, I know I got to trust the Lord. What you telling me? I know we, just trust the Lord, brother. But you don't pray. You know, just pray about it. You know, it's like, I know all those things. You know what I mean? But you're not walking by faith. You're really walking by sight. And so the things of God can become irritable to you because you don't have faith. You're not walking in faith. So it's like a, 
it's like a insult. When you're walking by sight and somebody offers the way of faith, it's an insult. Like you feel like you got a control situation. I'm looking for answers. And you're going to give me some, something that is like imaginary. Get out of my face with that. It's like you're under a car trying to fix it. Give me a pair of channel locks or something. And they hand you a screwdriver. You're like, get this out of my, I'm not looking for this. Because I'm not walking by faith. I'm not looking for faith tools. I'm looking for sight tools. Give me a fix it now solution. So the tools of faith can become irritable when your pastor or your small group leader or your family or whoever is trying to encourage you spiritually and trying to encourage your faith. It's important that we decide we will walk by faith. And then we get to experience his peace and joy in the valley times. If we will decide, okay, I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to stand on his goodness. You'll experience the victory that can come as suddenly and blow your mind and have peace while you're in the middle of that valley waiting. I'm going to build everything I share with you this morning off of this passage right here. Lamentations 3, 19 through 26. A couple fun facts about Lamentations first. Uh, the author is unknown. I don't know if y'all knew that. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Lamentations. What's interesting, the book of Lamentations, I think it's five chapters. I think chapters one through three and five are all 22 verses each. And they're each started with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in the order of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and each one of those verses starts with that letter. And then in the, the chapter 4, there's 66 verses because it's 22 times of three stanzas, if you will. Each one is a stanza that has three verses. So it's just some fun facts. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that about Lamentations. You know what I mean? I, I just was, got a little curious and I've come across some interesting facts there. And I'm sure there's a lot of depth and meaning to that that I don't know yet but let's start Lamentations three nineteen through 26 the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss yet I still dare to hope when I remember this the faithful love of the Lord never ends his mercies never cease Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Come on. If that is not the perfect picture of someone who is in the valley as deep as it can go and chose faith. That's a choice. He chose faith. So let's look at 19 through 21. We're going to break this down a little bit. Lamentations 19 through 21. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time 
as I grieve over my loss. I mean, that's pain. And I just wanted to encourage y'all with that passage this morning. You know, just get you a little boost this morning. Are you encouraged? Laura, you're encouraged? Thank you for that, Pastor Lee. Would you repeat that scripture to me? This just blesses my soul. In a way, it does, because you're like, I ain't got it that bad. <laughs> maybe you have had it that bad in times past, or maybe you have it that bad this time, but then you get encouraged because you're not alone. Um, no, that's not a very encouraging passage of Scripture, but it does show us the human element of walking this life out by faith. And it's this reality that we live in, the pain that we have to deal with. Nobody loves the valleys. That's okay. That's normal. You're a normal human being when you're in the valley and you're like, I hate this and I can't wait for it to be over. When times are hard, that is when this faith is so critical that we'll be able to continue in the right direction that God has for our life. That discouragement that you feel when you're in the valley makes you extremely vulnerable because you want out. You want out. You want a fix. And sometimes you don't want to hear faith. But you got to understand that when I'm in that valley like that, I'm, I'm vulnerable to deception, manipulation, and being led away from my good shepherd, Jesus Christ. When the shepherd is saying, I got this, you're like, that's not good enough. I want to fix. I want out. I don't want to be in this valley anymore. We need to take a chill pill and remember. He, God, the good shepherd, leads us into righteousness, into eternal life, into glorifying God. But the devil, the flesh, this world is trying to lead us into decay, death, and destruction. But God has a plan and a purpose for our life. And the only way, the only way that we're going to experience that is if we trust him and follow his lead. No matter what it feels like or what it, what it looks like. The spiritual valley is a time in our lives when it's very difficult to trust God. When the physical realm around you looks very bleak. You know, I don't know if you mind me sharing this, but Pastor David has been having this pain in his back recently with a sciatic nerve, 10 out of 10 pain, y'all. And to hear him describe it, you can see it in his eyes. He's like, you, you talk about pain. He was telling me this morning, you talk about my hand hurts. But no, none of that hurts. <laughs> like, that's not pain. This is pain. Like, when you feel real, real pain, you like, oh, my gosh. Like, somebody turn the, the switch off, please, whatever it takes. You know, that, that is intense pain. You know, when you're in the middle of things like that, that is a valley. That is like very a difficult time to trust God. That's a difficult time to stay in the right direction following Jesus. In the valley, you're going to hear somebody real fast, real loud, and in your face and real negative. The devil. He is such a... What's the word? Prick. Like... Is that a bad, I don't even know if that's a bad word. Can I say that? I don't know. Like he's such a jerk. Like I'm suffering here. I'm in the valley. And you're trying to destroy me. You're trying to kick me while I'm down. You're dumping salt on my wound here. 
You're trying to separate me from the Lord of my life who's leading me and guiding me into eternal life and green path. And you're trying to take me out while I'm down. Like, how low can you go? You're a loser. Leave me alone. But he'll be the first one there. He's so faithful with that. Right? It's like, golly, leave me alone. But you're guaranteed to hear that voice. He's going to be loud and obnoxious, very negative, pushy. He's a bully. He's trying to push you, push you, push you, tell you what to do, tell you what to think, get you to question God, get you to turn on, on your faith in God. And he's not nice about it. And I don't like being told what to do. I don't think any of us do. Sometimes Rachel tells me what to do. I'm like, you're not my boss. How's Brother Rod say it to Sister Mary? You're not my mama. You ain't my mama. I don't like being told what to do. So when the devil comes along trying to tell me what to do, I don't like that. It's okay not to like the devil, y'all. I know we're supposed to love everybody. You don't have to love the devil. We can, we can hate evil. It's a good thing. God hates evil. But in the valley, we discern. we learn how to discern. We learn how to fight in faith. We learn how to trust. It's actually a blessing. The valley is a blessing to us because it requires us to use faith. And guess what happens when you don't use faith? You lose it. It's like a muscle. We're trying to help you grow in your faith, but if you don't use it, you're not going to have it. You're going to lose it. So the valley actually helps us out. Because it puts us in this vulnerable place where we either sur surrender to this bully of the devil in this flesh, in this world, and just be thrown off into destruction. Or we say, I'm going to remember the Lord. I'm going to trust in his goodness. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to push through. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to surround myself with people who are stronger than me in the faith. I'm going to be as deep into the body of Christ as I can be. I'm going to be in the middle of the flock. That wolf comes around, he ain't going to find me. I'm going to be buried in a bunch of other sheep. <laughs> He's going to be looking for me. He ain't going to see me. He's going to be hiding behind some big bad sheep like Pastor David and Pastor Lori. Like, yeah, what you going to do now? I'm under my spiritual covering here. I'm in a safe place. Your little spiritual weapons aren't real strong here. There's safety in numbers. Lamentations 3.22 this is what we're going to decide to do, like the writer of Lamentations. We're going to decide to stand on his goodness. Yet I still dare to hope. I love the way that's written. Dare to hope. Like, this sounds a little crazy. I'm going to dare to do it. Say I won't. Tell me not to. Tell me, tell me I can't. I'm going to dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Every single morning. And I loved, I had to write this passage down as soon as Pastor David shared it last week. Habakkuk 3.2. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. 
Joel 2, 13 through 14. Don't tear your clothing in, in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for, his merciful, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. How many times have we heard the opposite? Like, I messed up. You're waiting for the smack on the back of the head. God's not like that. He knows you're weak. He knows you're a knucklehead. Just give him your heart and trust him. He's not sitting there waiting, ready to whack you over the head. He's eager to relent and not punish. He will punish, though, just to be clear. He will. He, he, the Bible says that uh, he, di he disciplines those he loves, just like a good father would, because it's good for us. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Well, wouldn't that be great? That kind of sounds like the Lamentations writer saying, I am going to dare to hope. Maybe he'll give me a blessing instead of a curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. And Psalms 35. I'm just, I'm, I'm letting the word of God just do his work. Psalms 35. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Lamentations 3, 25 through 26. Our confidence needs to be in Him. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. That is where your confidence is found. Don't put your confidence in yourself. Don't put your confidence in your performance. Don't put your confidence in your spirituality, in your faith even. Don't put your confidence in yourself. Stop. This is us doing our job of helping you grow in your faith and directing it into the right place because you can misplace your faith and fall like the heap of sand when the man built his house on the sand and it couldn't withstand the storm. You build your house on the rock, Jesus Christ, and your house will stand firm. You put your confidence in your whole life, your reality, in Jesus Christ. And nobody else. Not even yourself. Not even your family. Not even your pastors. Because we're people. We're, we're people. We're trying to walk in faith too. And we're not always good at it. You know what I mean? We're trying to do this the best that we can. The way God's called us to do. But guess what? Pastors will let you down. Family will let you down. Parents, brothers, sisters, all will let you down. But with God's help, there'll be more good than bad, and God will use us. 2 Corinthians 12, 19. I love this, and this is in the Amplified Version. But he has said to me, and this was after Paul's in the valley, right? Uh, he had the thorn in his flesh. He's like, take it away, Lord. I asked three different times, and he wouldn't do it. And this is, this is what Paul says. But he has said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is complete and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, now Paul is like, okay, now, after God says that, therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may, be, may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. My confidence is in the Lord. His confidence wasn't in getting delivered from the thorn in his flesh. His confidence wasn't in experiencing all these amazing things on earth. His confidence wasn't in the success of his ministry. His confidence wasn't in, you know, whether he wasn't going to be stoned that night, you know. His confidence was in the Lord. And God made it clear to him, all you need is me. And you have all of me. And I'm not holding any of me back from you. And that's all you need. And hit, hit Paul. And he's like, of course. If that's the case, not only do I not want the burdens removed, I'm going to boast in them. I'm going to boast in my weakness. Because that's when the lower I get, the more he gets. The less I become, the more he becomes. In my life, the more of him is necessary to show up on the scene because I am just a wreck. I'm totally lost. I have no idea what to do. I'm messing everything up. God, you need to do it. And that just sets the stage for him to do amazing things. So Paul boasts in that. Whew. He's like, I get to set the stage for God? Heck yeah, I'll do that. Lamentations, this is what I want to kind of wrap up with here this morning. Lamentations 3, 25 through 26. The spiritual power in waiting. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not passivity. It is not inaction. It's, in fact, the greatest assertive action that you can take in any situation. But it takes faith. You got to be able to operate in the faith realm. You got to be able to operate above what you can see to be able to wait on the Lord. It is exercising faith. You are exerting faith into a situation when you decide to take your hands off of it and give it to Him and wait on Him to do something. That is an incredible act of faith. Incredible. But it's not easy. Again, walking in faith is not easy. Sometimes it's darkest right before dawn. Sometimes the fight is the most intense right before the victory. And I always hear the analogy, use the analogy of the one yard line. You got 22 grown men on that patch of grass with a ball. Which sounds really funny. And they will kill you before they let that ball go in the direction they don't want it to go. They will beat you to a pulp. Destroy your life. Whatever it takes. Curse your mama. Poke you in the eye. 
That fight is intense, y'all. When that 22 pileup of men happens, you don't want to know what happens under that pile. That's why they wear all the protection and stuff that they do. But that one yard line is so close to the touchdown that could win the game. It could be over. But they're going to have to dig as deep as they can possibly dig to get that ball, that one yard. So it's very difficult sometimes when you're in that valley and maybe you're right there about to come out. Maybe you're right there for experiencing that victory, but it feels like you could be a million miles away because it looks so impossible. It looks so, the reality of this victory looks so bleak. If you walk in by sight, you come above that and you walk by faith. You connect to God. You connect with God. And all of a sudden, it's nothing for God. What happens is we want control. We want immediate results. And that is the easy way out of using faith. And it doesn't work. It's the shortcut of all shortcuts that will kill you in the end. Ask anybody that does electrical work. You never take shortcuts. You don't, you pause, take your time, take a step back, whatever you got to do, clear your head. Don't take shortcuts with electricity. It will kill you. Don't take shortcuts with faith. Don't take shortcuts with following Jesus. It could kill you, you know. I don't want to make you afraid like you make one wrong move, you're dead. But it's that serious. It could lead to a whole pattern. It could lead to a whole way of life. But that's what we do, and we do it all the time. When we should trust in God and we should just obey, we're like, ah, man, forget that. And we grab onto the thing, and we try to make it do what we want it to do. And that's not a good recipe for our life. It's easy to say we have faith. It's easy to say that we're trusting God. But if we're not demonstrating it, it's not there. I just want to throw it out there, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say that. But we do it all the time. We fool ourselves. We fool the people around us. And that's dangerous. That's very dangerous because then you never actually operate in faith. And you're deceived into thinking that you have faith. But you don't. That's a scary place to be. That's like going to the doctor with cancer and the doctor just being like, eh, you ain't got cancer. You're good. That's not good because <laughs> I still got cancer and it could still kill me. It's do I have faith or not? Am I walking in faith or not? And how is that being demonstrated in my life? We're not going to be perfect. Let me remind you all of that. Nobody in this room is perfect at walking in faith. But there will be a demonstration. And when you're not demonstrating faith, guess who will tap you very gently on the shoulder? the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for making yourself available to guide me along this life of faith because I'm always not walking in faith and I'm striving to walk in faith more. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for letting me know when I'm not. And then I can repent. And then I can say, okay, God, I want to walk in faith. What do I do? He'll show you what to do or not do. 
I want to share with y'all a couple of examples of recent examples. Well, one recent, one long. So if y'all don't know this, my wife and I were building a home, which is very exciting. It's kind of like a dream of ours to be able to dream something up and then draw it out and then actually build it and live in it. That's just so exciting to think that we can do that kind of stuff. And we're doing it. And it was a very big leap of faith because we've never done anything like that before. I've seen people do it, seen my dad do it a couple times, seeing friends and uh, other people do it. I'm like, I think I can do it. It's a little scary, but let's do it. Let's just do it. You know, that's what people do. They, he didn't build a house this first time. He just did it. And I still don't know how he did it. I want to talk to you more about that. But, (laughs) (laughs) and he did it under much greater adversity than I am doing it. I'm building right across the street from my house. (laughs) I literally walk out my front door. I know it sounds funny, but we are getting a lot that we couldn't get at our house now. But I walk out my front door and I start picking things up and doing things and I'm building my house. (laughs) And then Rachel and the kids are playing. The kids are making sandcastles and the red clay and Rachel's looking around asking a bunch of questions and I'm like, I don't have time to answer that. I'm trying to build a house. Anyway, I need to be better about that. But um, so we're building a house, and just as we're about to start, and this is like a year-long process of us getting to this point of starting, and the guy coming to do the land clearing and the dirt work was scheduled to come on Monday. Well, on Saturday, Hurricane Ida hits. Are you kidding me? Like we were about to start. I was so excited. We were so excited. And the storm hits. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. A month and a half delay. And of course, we're questioning. You know, we're in the valley and it's not working out. And are we supposed to be building a house? Maybe God's saying, don't build a house. You know, it's a big commitment. You know, all this. And the property that we were building on, the house next door to it, a pine tree went straight through the house. Big old monster pine tree. Went through the house from Hurricane Ida. It's terrible. And this poor guy got hammered in life. That was the least of his concerns, believe it or not, which makes me feel terrible. But so we were about to start. We had this big delay, and then that happened. So we go forward clearing the land after that delay, and we had talked to the owner because he wasn't sure what he was going to do. It was just a crazy situation. And I said, well, we might be interested in it if we can afford it because it's literally in our backyard. Because the way we're building the house, the house runs down the the lot on one side and then we're making our side yard our backyard. So all the windows in the living area are on one side of the house for our backyard. And his house is an extension of our backyard. And... I caught the vision for it, and we were so excited, and I wanted it so bad. But it was like, it's going to happen, it's not going to happen, will it happen, we don't know, all over the place. And I was so anxious, because I wanted to be able to make this work so bad. How many of y'all know that feeling? You know, maybe it's a valley situation where you're not suffering necessarily, but you want something so bad. Maybe you want to get married so bad. Maybe you want that job so bad. 
And I wanted so badly to grab onto the situation and try to make it work. And over and over and over again, I could feel the Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder saying, just trust me. Just wait on me. Just give it to me. I'm like, all right. That is hard. Especially for somebody like me. I want to text, call, set up a point, make times, be on the same page, push this thing through, whatever I got to do. I want to make it work. You know what I mean? And God just kept saying, give it to me. Wait on me. And, and, that, and then I would actually do it. And over and over and over again, for two months at least, I had to keep restraining myself and trusting God and not doing things, you know. And it ended up working out. And we actually were able to buy it. And we had to make some sacrifices to afford it. But it ended up working out. And I want you all to hear me on this. There's two things that I felt like I was sacrificing on with building on this particular property. Because we had looked at others, and we were going to buy others, and it didn't work out. Thank God. Um, we felt like we sacrificed on the backyard. And I wanted a live oak tree. I know that's a silly request, but that's what I wanted. I actually said a live oak or a magnolia, because I had it written down with a little checkbox next to it. You know, on numbers, you can check the little boxes. And those were a couple boxes I wasn't going to be able to check, and that was okay. I was okay with it. Everything else was checked. And all of a sudden, this house gives us a whole, like, triples our backyard. The house tripled our backyard. And there was a live oak in between his house and the next house on our property. And not a little twig. <laughs> this thing's like this. And I've been living there for five years. I didn't even know it was there. I don't know how that happened. I think God blinded me. He put scales on my eyes so I couldn't see the surprise that he had waiting for me in the middle of the two houses. But we did get the magnolia tree, actually, and I designed the whole house around the magnolia tree. And we hope it doesn't die. Y'all can pray for that tree because of the clearing and stuff. But I'm telling y'all this is crazy. I got to go check the box for the backyard and the view, and I got to check the live oak and the magnolia tree. Not one or the other, both. One of each. But God kept telling me, wait, be patient. It's, I got this. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to do nothing. That feels great. I'm not going to call. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to do nothing. That's awesome. I love that. No, not at all. And lastly is the wonderful story that I love telling people about when I met my dream wife, Rachel. <laughs> this is an amazing story, y'all. And we have so many stories like this. And that's why I'm up here talking about this with y'all. I want your faith to grow, and I want you to experience all of this stuff. So I was 26 years old. At this point in your life, as a single 26-year-old man, you really want a wife, probably. Not <laughs> definitely. Because some people have the gift of singleness, and that's fine. Paul was an excellent example of that. I was not that. And I begged God not to make me like Paul. <laughs> I begged him. And I had to stand on promises like, you will give me the desires of my heart, Lord. If I delight myself in you, you're going to give me the desires of my heart. And my desires is not singleness. 
It's just not. You didn't wire me that way. So, in my assertiveness, if you will, I like to do everything that can be done on my part to make something happen. And I'm on Facebook, and I'm searching, and I'm looking every Sunday. I'm looking around on Sunday mornings to see if there's any new faces. <laughs> no new faces. Ask TJ. TJ's right there with me the whole time. We were roommates. I'm sorry, y'all. We have very special guests in the house this morning from Texas. My best friend, TJ Johnson, and his lovely wife, Ashley Johnson. They stayed with us last night. We're going to hang out today, and they have, they have lovely children that are our kids' ages, and it's fun. But we were living this life together, two bachelors, roommates, loving Jesus, serving the kingdom of God, both wanting wives. And so I was always way better looking than he was, so, you know, I always felt a little bit bad about that, like, who's he going to get? You know, if there's really nobody there, I'm probably going to get the best one, and then I don't know who's going to get it. And then my hair fell out, and I got better looking. So then he was really set back. I'm like, poor TJ. All right. <laughs> poor TJ. Poor Stephen. All right. So God convicted me one night. I was sitting in PJ's Coffee House in Chalmette. That was my spot. I love coffee shops. And I had Facebook open, of course when I really had my Bible and everything there, and I was wanting to spend some time with Jesus, but I was thinking about the girl thing. And the Holy Spirit told me, you are not trusting me with this. I was like, what do you mean? You know, I trust you. Talk, talk is cheap. The Holy Spirit's like, you are not trusting me with this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I already know where this is going. And I... And I <laughs> And I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. You're like, if you were really trusting me with this, you wouldn't be obsessing over Facebook trying to find somebody. I'm like, wait, this is not good. Where this is going, I don't like this. It sounds like the call of Paul. <laughs> I don't like it. You said you'd give me the desires of my heart, Lord. So, he showed me a coffee mug, and this is, this is, this is my closing, y'all, but he showed me a, a coffee mug, and he said, this is you trying to find a wife, and you are hovering over this thing and brewing over this thing, and you got this white knuckle grip on this thing, and you won't let it go. You got to give that thing to me, and I'm like, I already knew what that meant. If I give it to you and then I don't have it anymore, then there's nothing I can do about it. And I don't like that. I want action points. Tell me what to do so I can see progress. So there was an exchange that took place right there in that PJ's coffee house. God said, you give that to me. Basically, you give me your burdens and I'm going to give you my burden." I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. I'm going to give you work to do. You need to be working. You need to be focused. You need to be plowing, doing something, not brewing over this promise that you're trying to get. And so he showed me that I needed to take advantage of every day, every moment that I could 
to advance his kingdom. No matter what it looked like, telling somebody, be blessed, just a little seed, maybe it helps them think about God, you know, maybe. And some things happen, real big things happen that were opportunities for me to exercise faith and advance his kingdom. And the whole while, I had to get off of Facebook. And every time the thought entered my mind about a girl, I had to expel it and put it back in God's hands. Like, God's got that. I'm not thinking about it. And then I'd have to go and, like, get busy because uh, uh, the idle mind is the devil's playground. And if I was just idle, then I'd have been back to obsessing. So I had to, need, I had to be busy about his work while he took care of my work, took care of me. So that lasted for a month. And then I went on a little vacation, a little getaway, a little weekend getaway with TJ and Bruce, another good friend of ours. Was Joel with that? I don't think Joel came on that trip. Joel was on that trip? Okay. Joel, I think, came with me, Joel Tardo. We go to Destin, Florida. And I got wind that Rachel was going to be there. But I couldn't think about it. I wasn't allowed. I had to. But I did sneak a peek to see who she was or something like that. But then I put it away again. Trust in you, Lord. And then we actually end up crossing paths. And she was every bit as gorgeous as I hoped she would be. And more. And one thing led to another. And I broke through with some conversation. And I said, so what do you do in Laplace? Because she was living in Laplace. And she was a little caught off guard, like, what do you mean what do I do in the plot? I'm like, you know, like, what do you do for fun and whatever? <laughs> and she said, oh, I like to run and listen to my Jesus jams. And I was like, really? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Boy, my antennas went up and I saw the promise. Like, I saw a guy dropping this in my lap. I really did. And I had so much peace, so much confidence. It was amazing. And, and we hit it off. It was so natural from the very beginning. And then even my parents, it was like three weeks after we met, she was coming on vacation with our family. And me and my parents, we were leaving the beach, and we're walking back. I'm like, Dad, Mom, you know, so what do y'all think? And my dad says, Lee, get the ring. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm blessed now. I can go. I can pursue. I can... I did my waiting. I waited on the Lord. And he did it. He did it. He did it. And, um, and then come to find out, you'll never believe this. You'll think I'm making it up. And you're like, you're just trying to get us excitedly. Stop saying stuff like that. Rachel was in a relationship for three years. And a month before we met, she broke up with her three-year relationship. Because he didn't want Jesus that bad. She felt like she was dragging him along to try to read the Bible with him. So, who knows? I'll find out in heaven. The night that I gave that situation to God, that he gave her the courage to say, I'm ending it. Y'all bow your heads with me this morning.